0: Amen. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, and you'll have that on your screen. I'm I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and that's what you have on the back of your pew. And if you, of course, any electronic device that you'd like to use will be absolutely fine. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. When you see it, say "Praise praise the Lord. But Jesus said to him, no one... Having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to speak to you on the subject, go plow. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we need you now. We need your anointing, dear God. Lord, if this is just my words falling on human ears, it's probably not going to make much of a difference, but somehow if your spirit can work in And through your word, in our hearts, it will be a life-changing moment for us. Not only for us, but for our families, our children, our spouse, our neighbors. Lord, for this church, this community, we're praying, God, that your word would not return void. That it go forth and do its intended purpose. And you promised that it it would. And we claim and believe that promise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Give him one more hand for his word today. My grandfather used to like this joke a a whole lot, I guess because he had three grandsons that were preachers. But he loved to hear about the young man that uh, went to his pastor and said, you know, everywhere I go all of the time, appearing before me, in front of my eyes, I see the letters G, P. said, so right now I'm looking up into the sky and I see the letters G-P. And I have concluded that God has a call on my life, that G-P means to go preach. And of course, the pastor didn't want to stand in the way of God. and He said, son, we're going to let you do that. This coming Sunday night, this night, Sunday night, Sunday night week, It's coming Sunday night. I'm gonna let you preach. So the boy studied all week long and he prayed and he got up and he preached. And when he got through, the pastor met him at the back door and said, Son, I believe that the GP that you saw in the sky did not stand for go preach. It stand it stood for go plow. (laughs) Well, listen, God does have a call on everyone's life, and the call everyone is not to go preach, but the call for every Christian is to go plow, to break up new ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see that blade pierce the hard, crusty ground of the world, to plow up the weeds of sin, to overturn the clods of doubt that are in people's lives. This world needs plowing. To plow is a matter of dedication. Jesus said of his followers that they were indeed to put their hand to the plow. There's an assumption that this parable of his is just one line. It's just one scripture. It's just one sentence. And he doesn't give us a whole lot of background about it. It's just a statement. It's a proverb that is put out there, everyone that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Well, before a person can look back, it's assumed that they are to put their hand to the plow. So the Lord asked us to put our hand to the plow. This is a euphemism for what Jesus was saying in the context. He was right on the heel of calling his disciples and those that he called, he called one whose father was about to pass away and he said, let me stay and bury the dead. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It's also the same attitude that Jesus said when he told us that if any man will follow me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. There is no price that we can pay to save ourselves. The only price that It could be paid. The only price that was acceptable was the precious blood of Jesus. And God paid it. And salvation is full and free. But there is a cost to discipleship. There is something that we have to do in order to follow Jesus. One of my brothers said to his church here a year or so ago, he said, You're wonderful. You're great. You're 100% faithful on fire 50% of the time. Let me ask you this. If your television only worked 50% of the time, would you be satisfied with that? If the telephone only worked 50% of the time or the heater or the air conditioner, would you be satisfied with that? Would you be satisfied if you went to the doctor And every other time that you went, he wasn't there. Let me ask you this what if God took two or three days off every week in running the universe? But the Lord does not demand 100% faithfulness, 100% dedication, 50% of the time. And let me tell you that this is not the Lord's request, it's not his wish. It's not his desire. This is the Lord's command. This is his demand on those that he has saved. Now the Lord saved us not because that we were worthy. He saved us because we, he loved us. But the Lord does expect a return for his investment. He said, well, I've never seen that in Scripture. Oh, what about the parable that Jesus told about the king that went off and left with his servants, one ten pieces of silver and one five pieces of silver and one one pieces of silver and when the king came back he wanted to know whether they had invested those pieces of silver and the one that had buried what the king had given him it was taken from him and he was cast out into outer darkness and he was called a wicked and unjust servant. So the Lord does expect you know What you do at church, and for those of you that work and labor in the church, I thank you so much for that, and you deserve to to be congratulated and celebrated if you do a job in the church here. In fact, we want to get to the place that every member has a job here to do, but what you do in this church is important, that it is life or death for someone, it's heaven and hell. It's eternal. The labor that we do for the Lord is eternal. Back uh, in the early 1900s, there was a man that came from Russia, and he lived for a while in New York City and studied, and he had some Christian friends that invited him to Sunday school. And so he went to them, with them to their Sunday school class, and the teacher never showed up. No excuse, no no, uh, calling ahead, none of that, just didn't show up. And that young man concluded that if Christianity was not any more important than that, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. And his name was Vladimir Lenin. He went back home to Russia and started the Communist Revolution. I love this little poem I heard the other day. He wasn't much for stirring about. It wasn't his desire. While others were to build the church, he was sitting by the fire. Same old story, day by day, he never seemed to tire. No matter what others did, he was sitting by the fire. At last he did, as all must do. And some say he went up higher. But if he's doing what he used to do, he's sitting by the fire. Right? What we do for the Lord is important, and it is a matter of dedication. The Lord expects dedication from his children. It's also a matter of direction. Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, if you get distracted, if you turn around and look at what it's cost you, then you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's so very easy to get distracted in our world. One of our issues is that we have a skewed view of what worldliness is. We think worldliness is contained in the fact that I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't dip, I don't chew, and I don't run with those that do. And I'm not telling you we ought to do any of those things, but I'm going to tell you worldliness is far more than what kind of habits we have or places we go or the way we dress. Yes. Our relationship with the Lord will affect all of that, absolutely. But it's a lot more than that. It's what has your attention, what captures your heart, what is your preoccupation. I'm afraid that there are going to be people in hell over a bass boat. I'm afraid that there are going to be people in hell over a deer stand. I'm afraid there's people that are going to miss heaven over a little league baseball game. Because the priority and the direction of our life is not God and it's not God's house. And listen, I'm not that smart. Please don't say amen there. But I'm smart enough to realize this. That where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if you are treasuring the things of this world, that's what will occupy your mind and your heart. And if you treasure the things of God, you'll want to be in His presence. You'll want to be in His book. You'll want to be in his house. You'll want to be in his vineyard. You'll want to be in his field. If you treasures the things of God where your heart is or where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. It will be involved in the work of God. Amen. I don't want to be one of these sermons where you just kind of tell everybody off. That's not my desire. But I do want you to think about something. If you're well enough to go to Walmart and shop on Sunday afternoon, you feel good enough to be in the house of God on Sunday morning. Amen. Do I hear crickets chirping out there somewhere? Crystal gave birth to Cameron on Thursday. And on Sunday morning, they were both in church. You say, well, wow, that's kind of radical. And anyway, you're a pastor. Here's the thing. I wasn't pastoring at the time. I was a member of a church. You say, don't you think that's radical? Not when I wanted my son's first experience, the first Sunday he was in the world to be in the house of God and set the priority for his life. What are we teaching our children, our grandchildren? What's important? What's important? Let me tell you a couple of things that's happened just today. We've got a new young man in the choir. He was invited to church by Larry. Worked at Harvey's. Larry stops by, invites him. He comes. He gets saved. Since then, he's been in Sunday school every Sunday morning. He's been in church. He started singing in the choir. And today, he's not here because he's having to work. But the, reason, but the reason I know he had to work is because he came here, I guess, to choir practice or stop by to tell me that I've got to be at work and I'm not going to be here. Why? Because that's his priority. Matthew McDaniel came in because he had been working at Harvey's this morning, frying chicken. And he walked in, I hugged his neck, and he smelled like chicken. And he said, Pastor, please quit nibbling my ear. Best cologne I've ever, I'm going to see if I can get that fragrance for Crystal, amen. Don't get distracted. Proverbs 20 and 4 says this, The lazy man will not plow because of winter, but he'll beg during the harvest and have nothing. You can always find an excuse why to put your hand, take your hand from the plow. I remember reading uh, Archie's comics when I was uh, younger. And I remember Archie talking on the phone to Veronica. And he said, Veronica, for your love, I would swim the deepest ocean. I would climb the highest mountain. I would cross the most cruel, arid desert. And Veronica said, Archie, are you going to come over tonight? He said, if it don't rain. <laughs> it's so easy to get distracted. You've got to keep your eye on the prize you're headed somewhere where you are you can look around and say I'm tired of this dry soil I'm tired of these weeds. I'm tired of this hard earth. I'm tired of the mule. I'm tired of the plow. I'm tired of the blisters. But what keeps you going is there's a direction. And Jesus said, if you want to keep your hand on the plow, you've got to look where you're going and not where you've been. You can't look around you at what's going on. You can't look at the lack of fruitfulness that you're having right now. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said to us, said, therefore, brethren, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us uh Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to tell you when Jesus was on that cross, what kept him going was the joy of knowing that he was buying our salvation, the joy of knowing he was obeying his Father, and the joy of knowing that one day when the suffering's over, when the battle's over he'd wear a crown and be seated at the right hand of his father keep on working, keep on plowing keep on going there's a prize waiting on the other side keep your eyes on Jesus don't get distracted don't turn to the right or the left don't look behind you don't get distracted McGinty was a farmer in Ireland a century or so ago, and his plow broke. And he knew he had to get his crops in the field. And so he didn't know what he was going to do. And then he remembered that his neighbor, about five fields down, his neighbor, Murphy, had a plow. And he got to thinking, you know, old Murph's been a good neighbor to me. He'll let me borrow his plow. So he started walking those five fields to Murphy's house. After he got about past the first field, he thought, you know, what if if Murphy's plow's not in good shape? What if his blade is dull? What if it's falling apart? What if it's rickety? When he got past the second field, he got to thinking this. You know, what if Murphy hadn't plowed all his fields yet? What if he's still using his plow? What am I going to do? When he got past the third field, he thought this, you know what? I'm not sure Murphy would let me borrow that plow or not. He doesn't owe it to me. I don't know what he'll want for it. When he got about the fifth field, he got thinking, got mad. He was getting madder by the minute. That old sorry Murphy, he ain't never done anything for me. ain't never done anything for anybody. He probably won't even, he'll probably be happy if my crops don't get planted. Finally he got to Murphy's door and he knocked on the door and Murphy opened the door and he was proud to see his his neighbor. He said, well, hey, Mr. McGinney, how you doing? And with that, uh, McGinney knocked Murphy right in the nose and said, keep your old stinking plow, I don't want it anyway. And we can talk ourselves into reasons for not plowing the field. Satan will provide the reason for us to take our hand from the plow. It's a matter of dedication, it's a matter of direction, and it is a matter of determination. There's some things in life that take some determination, some perseverance. There's some things you just got to endure and go through and work through the hard times till you get to the good times. 1 Corinthians 9.10 says that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. It's saying that the one that is doing the plowing and the one that after the harvest is over and is threshing that same wheat that was planted by the one doing the plowing, that they both are going to share in the same reward. But the difference is, is that the one who is plowing has to plow in hope. The one that is threshing holds it in his hand. He sees the reward He knows he's got it. He's got the blessing. He's able to thresh the wheat. But the one that plows, all he's hanging on to while he's plowing is hope and sometimes in the Lord's field sometimes in the Lord's work sometimes when you labor and fast and you pray and you witness and you reach out to your neighbor and it seems like that you're always stuck just at the end of the plow and other people seem to always get in the harvest and you don't understand why you're always stuck plowing but if you'll plow in hope it'll keep you going saying I don't know what the outcome's going to be but some of these seeds are going to grow somebody's going to be blessed somebody's going to be saved somebody is going to get a blessing. Somebody's going to receive the Holy Ghost. i got to keep on plowing. You've got to plow in hope. Kublai Khan was the grandson of Genghis Khan. And he sent word to Pope uh, Gregory X. And he said to Pope Gregory X, if you will send me a hundred Christian wise men, I will be baptized and convert to Christianity. And I'll make sure all of my noblemen are baptized and convert to Christianity. And he said, if you'll do that before long, there will be more Christians in Asia than there are in Europe. And Pope Gregory responded, not with sending a hundred men, but sending two monks. Those two monks got as far as Armenia and got road weary and turned around. And came back home. Perhaps the greatest missionary opportunity the world has ever known to win a continent. And one leader said it ain't that important. And the two that were sent didn't think it was important enough to keep going. When my dad was, a, I guess, a maybe early teens, he had a pastor over in Axan that his name was J.C. Smith. He had a family. And they about starved that poor man to death and his family. He was only there, I think, about a year. But, but through the years, that relationship with the Peavy family continued on up to so when he was, he was pastoring and living up in North Georgia, up in the mountains. And when I was evangelizing, I would go and stay with him and conduct revivals for him. And he's a very, very dear man to us. Precious, precious man. And he got on up in his 80s, and they were trying to talk to him a little bit about, you know, you might need to retire. And Daddy asked him, said, Brother Smith, do you think that you're going to retire? I'll never forget what he did. He took his hands. He had Parkinson's, had trembling hands. He took those trembling hands and held them like this. And he said, well, Travis, I tell you, I think I'd just rather go out in the harness. I'm going to tell you, the world needs some people that will put their hand to the plow and not make excuses for why they can't or why they won't, but will say, when the Lord comes, I want him to catch me in the harvest. When the Lord comes, I don't want to be warming by the fire. I don't want to be looking at the television. I don't want to be occupying myself with my own desires and habits. I want to be found in the field, plowing one more field for Jesus. You've got to be determined to do it. And it's a matter of destination. Did you know where you're facing determines where you're going? When an airplane takes off the coordinates, if it is off by 1,000th of a percentile, they may think that they're headed to Hawaii, but they'll end up in Australia. Because the further they go, the further they get away from their destination, even by a slight miscalculation. Which way you're facing determines where you're going, and what you're doing determines what you're becoming. Your habits, where you spend your time, where I spend my time, not only determine what I do with my time, they determine who I am becoming. They are my life. My preoccupations, my habits, my hobbies, my vocation, those make a life. Jesus said, Matthew 13, 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and the joy over it, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has to buys that field. Listen to me. Christian brother or sister, there are treasures in the unplowed fields all around us. Russell H. Conwell started Temple University. The way he raised money to start Temple University was he had a certain speech that he traveled throughout the United States and gave, I think it was 600 I mean, 6,152 times he gave this speech. It's a very famous speech at the time. It was called Acres of Diamonds. And in it he talks about when he was touring the Middle East that his guide told him a story. His guide said down in Africa, there was a farmer. And a traveler stopped by one day and he regaled that farmer with the tales of the immense wealth that people were getting who discovered diamond mines. And the farmer had gotten tired of plowing his fields, laboring for almost nothing, and he couldn't sleep, he couldn't rest, he couldn't do anything, daydreaming about being wealthy and having a diamond mine. So he sold his farm, and he went out and searched highways and byways for years to try to find wealth and try to find a diamond mine. And eventually, discouraged dejected, broke, destitute. He threw himself into a river and killed himself. He never found his diamond mine, but he was always chasing it to the bitter end. However, the man that bought his farm was out one day and he looked in a stream and he saw a pretty rock laying there. And he thought, you know, that's an unusual looking rock. So he took that rock and took it home, showed it to his wife. He set it up on his mantle. And one day a friend of his came to visit. And he said, where did you get that rock? He said, oh, I found it out there in the stream. Said, they're all over the place. Every time I plow, I'm, di- I'm digging them up. They're all over the place. But this one was kind of pretty. I just put that rock up there. He said, you know what that rock is? He said, no, no, it's just a rock. He said, no. That's an uncut diamond is what that is. And they got to digging and found that that was the most prosperous diamond mine that there had ever been. And the man that sold it to hunt for diamonds didn't realize there were diamonds in his own backyard. And so Conwell's point was this, dig in your own backyard. Here's the way Jesus would say it, put your hand to the plow and don't quit plowing. I'm going to tell you, in your household, there's some treasure buried. In your neighborhood, there's some treasure buried. In this town, in this county, there's some treasure buried, but it's buried in unplowed fields. There are places that nobody wants to go, nobody wants to labor, but there's a treasure buried in the unplowed fields. Plow your own field. There's treasure in the field. Did you know that Jesus bought a field? Did you know that? He bought a field. To the south and west of Jerusalem, wrapping around that southwestern corner, there's a valley. And the valley was called the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And in that valley, wicked King Ahaz of Judah sacrificed his own children to false gods. His grandson Manasseh made his Children passed through the fire. We think that, that the worship of the god Molech, we think that it was a, a brass bull that they actually took babies. They would put, build a fire in the belly of that brass bull, and when it would eat, heat to a red hot, they would place the babies in the arms of that brass bull. You say, how barbaric, although it sounds like New York to me. It sounds like the 60 million babies that we have sacrifice to the God of our own lust every year and, uh, since uh, July, uh, since 1974, January 1974, the over 800,000 that were aborted this year, because Satan's come to steal to kill and destroy, and he's been doing it a long, long time. So the prophet Isaiah called that place Tophet, the burning place. It was cursed, and it became the garbage dump of Jerusalem. Jesus called it hell. When Jesus talked about hell, he used the Greek form of that word, Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom. And he said, the maggots dine all day and all night on the rotting flesh there, and the fire never ceases burning the refuse of Jerusalem. And he said, that's what hell's like. when Judas went and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. After they arrested Jesus, he was so crushed, with filled with remorse, not repentance, but remorse, and he went and tried to take the money back to the chief priest, and they wouldn't have it, and so he just ran out and threw it on the ground. And he went, and he hung himself, and then that limp body fell and burst open, and it fell into... The Valley of Hinnom. So they took that money. It was called the potter's field. It was where they got clay to make pots and utensils, but it was also where they would throw the broken pottery that nobody wanted. And they took that field. They took that money and they purchased that for a place to bury strangers. So to this day, cemeteries that are for the indigent are still called Potter's Fields to this day. But they named that place Alcadema, the Field of Blood, and it's located in the corner of the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus, with His own blood, purchased a corner of Hail. Why? Because there was a treasure there. That a man found a treasure in a field and he went and sold all that he had with joy to buy it. And Jesus looked at you and I that were on our way to a devil's hell. And with his own blood he purchased a field in the corner of hell to save us. There's places in this county I don't want to go. There's places in this county that I don't even like to drive through in the daytime. Places here in town. That if I don't have business down that road, I'd rather not go. But when Jesus looks at it, he doesn't see the hard, crusty, weed-covered, stony field. He sees a treasure in that field. It's a matter of decision. Will you put your hand to the plow? Will you plow the field? One writer, used to, uh, one writer wrote these words, songwriter. He said, I used to think that we had all the time we need to plow the field and plant the seed. But now... I realize the darkened skies say night is stealing on. And while we wait, it's growing late till day is gone. Say not tomorrow, I'll hold to the plow. There's no time to borrow. It's summer now. The countless millions reach out for mercy's hand while God's still searching for someone to till the land. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. There's treasure in the field. What you do for the Lord matters. It matters. When you're standing at the back door greeting, you don't ever know what Sunday somebody who's on the very edge of suicide stumbles in that back door. And your smiling, loving face may be the thing that touches a cord in their cold, cold heart. Well, that that was so beautiful. That that video of those of those of the kids and and and, uh, and you know some of it was comical and fundy, funny, funny, and, and we enjoyed it and all of that. But what y'all are doing back there is you're planting the eternal word of God in their hearts. He that puts his hand to the plow. and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven would you stand let's pray father god thank you for the convicting power of your spirit and I'm thankful, Lord, for when there are lost in our midst and you convict them of their sins. But, Lord, it's no mean thing when you convict those of us that are saved of our sins. Your word says to those that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, then to them that's sin. Lord, probably the vast majority of people that are here this morning are not out committing sin, committing immorality. There are some people here that really love you. But oh God, Forgive us, forgive me for what I omit. Somehow, someway, God, there's no condemnation in this word. There is conviction. It says I've got to change my focus. I've got to change my priority. I've got to see with new eyes. I've got to, I've got to look around me. And realize there's treasure buried in the field. There's souls. God, there's good ground. There's good ground that's buried in some fallow fields. Somebody's got to go in there and start turning the soil. Lord, let it be me. Let it be me, Lord. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I never want to close a service without giving someone that doesn't know the Lord as their own Savior an opportunity. If you're here today and you're not saved or you've been saved and you've walked away from your relationship with the Lord and you need to get right with God today, lift your hand. All right, no, nobody else looking around. But normally during this part, we let everybody raise their heads. But I just want you to be honest, completely honest. If you're here today and you felt through God's Word and God's Spirit that I've got to put both hands back on the plow. I hadn't been doing that. That's not where I've been. I've been distracted. I want to, put, I want to keep my eye on the Lord and I want to keep my hand on the plow. And I'm willing, if the Lord will help me, and he will, and if the Lord will show me, and he will, I'm willing to plow the field. If that's you, lift your hand. Your pastor's got his hand up, if that helps you any. All right, look at me today. Look at me. Could we make our way to this altar and cry out to God for him to sharpen our plow and for him to set us in those fields Come on from all over this place this morning.